Okay, so I just want to announce quickly at the beginning of this broadcast, what happened here is that we had so much fun debunking this piece from NBCLX that we went a full hour. So what I'm going to be doing is uh, when I present it on SoundCloud and probably when it gets posted on AE's Facebook page and other venues, we're going to present it as a one-hour block. Before the networks, it'll be broken up into two pieces. I'll be announcing them. Uh, so I just want to give that explanation to everybody, and uh, I hope you enjoy the show. The views expressed on this show by guests and the hosts on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. I'm the host, Andy Steele. Today we're joined by Kamal Obeid and Kent Rattan. Kamal is a board member for AE 9-11 Truth. He holds a master's degree in civil engineering from the University of California, Berkeley. He has been a practicing civil and structural engineer in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1980 and a licensed structural engineer since 1985. During his career, Kamal has served as engineer of record on many building design and retrofit projects. He specializes in structural steel building analysis, as well as investigating structural failures of steel frame buildings. At one point, he served as a volunteer for the Office of Emergency Services, that's FEMA, and he was investigating earthquake failures. In that service, he is also a longtime member, uh, SE, of the Structural Engineers Association of Northern California and has served on several of its code and business forum committees. And uh, as I said, he's joined by Kent Rattan, who's also a board member for AE911 Truth. Kent has a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from Trinity University, San Antonio, and a Master's in Architecture from the University of Texas, Austin. He's worked in firms in Austin, Houston, and Dallas before working for 20 years as a corporate architect and project manager at the Marriott International Headquarters and Sodexo Marriott Headquarters. He has acted as a project architect, project manager, and project director on many projects in high-rise buildings in Dallas, New York City, D.C., Virginia, and elsewhere. And he spent many years managing projects in Midtown Manhattan while living in the D.C., Maryland suburbs. So these gentlemen have a lot of experience. They certainly know what they're talking about better than a lot of people we see on the television talking about the events of September 11th, what happened in New York City with the World Trade Center, hence the whole point of this show today. I'll get into that more in just a few moments. But guys, welcome to 9-11 Freefall. Thank you, Andy. Hi, Andy. Good to be with you both. So, here we go. Now, around the 20th anniversary, we obviously had our own events going on. We had a movie premiering. And we are not omnipresent here, folks. So, we don't know everything that's going on out there in the world. We don't know uh, every opinion that's being expressed on the destruction of the World Trade Center towers. And it just came to our attention very recently. There are a couple of pieces put out We'll be talking at least about one of them today, and if we have time, the other one. But uh, the first one we'll be talking about is this 
piece that was put out by a network called NBCLX, and as far as I can discern, this is a nets, uh, net network, if that's the proper term, probably not, but that's what we'll call it. Uh, it appears to be a network that's only on the internet. I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like NIST was really trying to reinforce that official story around the 20th anniversary and probably to get ahead of other things that were expected to happen, but more on that later. So what we're going to do, because this has been passed around social media apparently for the last several months, I'm going to play this. It's short enough that we can pick it apart, debunk it. It's not hard. Actually, the challenge is trying to squeeze it all into a half an hour because whenever they do this, there's so much to say about why they are wrong that we could be talking for two hours here. But this one is short enough that I think we can do it. So I'm going to play the full segment for the audience now and for our guests and then we're going to rewind and break it up piece by piece. So here you go. This is NBCLX, and part of this involves an interview with Nis Therese McAllister. My name is Alicia Garcia, and I'm 20 years old. Was it controlled demolition? I'm Terry McAllister. I work at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. NIST um, conducted a very extensive study. Today is April the 18th, 2002. My name is Donald Kramer, and I will be taking uh, walkthroughs. We had 200 technical experts. Just to give you an idea of how carefully we considered all the information that was available, we reviewed tens of thousands of documents. Uh, we interviewed more than a thousand people. We reviewed 7,000 segments of video footage that totaled 150 hours of video and 7,000 photographs from over 185 photographers. And we recovered 236 pieces of steel uh, from the debris following the collapse uh, from the towers. So the fi fires did not melt the steel. Um, steel has to get extremely hot um, before it melts. It, it does get softened, though. Why did the Twin Towers crumble the way they did? How did they remain standing for so long? One of the innovations was making the external walls the primary support for the towers. These outer columns, tied closer together than was normal at the time, could withstand the impact of a Boeing 707. Though the plane would destroy some of the columns, the building would still remain standing. If you look at the construction of the World Trade Center towers and you look at the photos of them, they had very closely spaced exterior columns. And when the aircraft hit the buildings, it, it largely created um, a, a massive amount of debris and fuel being spread across um, the floors that were impacted. And what this did, it not only spread fuel um, to start fires much more broadly than you would uh, typically in a building fire, but it also stripped off what we call the um, the fire protection materials on the steel columns. And um, when that got stripped away, that 
um, increased uh, the ability of the steel to be exposed to heat, so it softened. And what that means is as it became heated, it couldn't carry as much load as it could when it was cooler. The World Trade Center towers were attacked with approximately 185 tons of aircraft, carrying 75 tons of jet fuel. Though the structures seemed to withstand the impact, the explosions and the subsequent heat from the burning jet fuel were beyond its limits. The nearly 2,000 degree temperature would eventually take its toll. All the failure occurred at the aircraft damage level and above. And once that tipped a little bit and started to come down, then the rest of the building failed. And some people questioned, oh, I saw puffs of smoke or something as the building was collapsing. Well, think about it. As each floor is starting to collapse down, all the drywall and all the things that are in each floor level is getting pushed out sideways. If you understand what's in, uh, required to do controlled demolition, what you'll see is you have to go around each column, you know, the vertical members that are holding the building up, and very carefully prepare them. You have to pull everything away. You've got to sometimes make cuts into the members, and you've got to put materials and explosives next to them. You've got to do all this on a number of the columns with nobody noticing, with nobody being aware. And these buildings were occupied and under surveillance and security 24-7. So um, one, the chance of that happening, you know, was just unrealistic. And two, there's absolutely no evidence that anything like that took place. All right, there you go, folks. So we got the noises of the street there at the end. Now, I don't want to be repetitive with this, but I did break this up into smaller clips because when you're sitting there addressing something, it's hard to remember every single thing that gets brought up. So I will be playing the first part of that again in a, in a minute or so. I do want to note, though, that the whole presentation of this appears to be aimed at young people. They start off with a young person on the street asking if the towers were brought down in controlled demolitions. Uh, and they're using this kind of style with this funky MTV, the real world font in it. And they use it throughout the whole thing with arrows pointing to things and the letters are kind of squiggly. Uh, so again, young people appear to be the target audience of this segment. I don't know about other folks out there, but I always found this approach to young people in marketing stuff to be a bit patronizing. It's like this news broadcast that they would play in the dining hall of my college when I was a young person <clears throat> a long time ago. And half the broadcast showed teenagers doing these wacky things like diving into pools full of jello and other nonsense as if nobody would watch the news unless there was silly stuff on it there. Like nobody's really interested in the world. Trust me, folks, the news isn't losing young people and other people and other demographics because it's not funky enough. It's because everybody is waking up to the fact that it's just pure propaganda. Nobody believes it anymore. You know, there's different twists and bents and uh, ideologies of the news, but it's all propaganda for one side or the other or both sides of a very bad agenda here. But I, I just don't think this approach is going to have much of an effect. Uh, but let's talk, or let's let's just uh, go ahead and hear what Terry McAllister has to say in that first clip again. So let me just go ahead and play that. 
my name is Alicia Garcia and I'm 20 years old. Was it controlled demolition? I'm Terry McAllister. I work at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. NIST um, conducted a very extensive study. Today is April the 18th, 2002. My name is Donald Kramer, and I will be taking uh, walkthroughs. We had 200 technical experts. Just to give you an idea of how carefully we considered all the information that was available. All right, so let's look at what uh, Miss McAllister had to say there. She begins her part by saying, This conducted a very extensive study, and they show all these twisted beams and columns from the World Trade Center, all gathered and collected. And they even showed John Gross there in his suit and tie. I think his hands are in his hips in this segment. I guess he's being brief there. Very Eisenhower-like, Mr. Gross. But what they should be showing is a photograph of John Gross in his blue jeans standing beside the chemically damaged steel that we, I believe, recited in our request for correction to Nest. You know, the steel that has Swiss cheese holes in it. Obviously notable enough for Mr. Gross and his team to take the photo of it. If it's not notable, why are you posing next to it? And of course, to do this kind of damage, it would take, I believe, up to 4,000 degree temperatures that jet fuel can't account for unless you believe that scientifically established melting points and evaporation points of building materials are now a conspiracy theory. And of course, as most of this audience knows, when asked about this publicly, John Gross denied evidence of extreme temperatures at the World Trade Center, despite literally posing in this photograph right next to the evidence of it. All right, And he does this most likely because whenever anyone connected to these NIST reports are cornered by their own false data, what they do is they just simply lie. It's like when Cheyenne Sunder was being interviewed by Alan Race, and he claimed that the molten metal caught on video falling from the South Tower was silver. But anybody who actually takes the time to use the YouTube machine watches this video can plainly see that it's glowing orange. All right, But it doesn't matter. As long as they can get through any difficult moment that they're in, they will say whatever it takes. So those are my thoughts. Gentlemen, uh, we'll start with Kamal. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think this video, and I, I actually watched it, and it just when you kind of watch it, you also see what they're juxtaposing next to Therese McAllister speaking as far as the structural elements of the building collapsing, they only looked at, well, they only showed Building 7 while she's talking about planes hitting the building and collapsing the building. So it's, it's pretty, you know, I, I think it relies on, on uh, you know, just putting something out that for people that haven't, you know, the general public that haven't looked at those buildings, it's easy to kind of, because they have a model that's collapsing, so it kind of looks nice. But it doesn't, I mean, it's for anybody who's technically oriented, anybody who's actually looked at those buildings, it's, it's sad to, to see that, you know, the, this thing is really put together as sound bites, sound bites to basically convey a message that NIST has done all these studies, they spent all this money, taxpayers' money, and they came up with a conclusion that supports the government's, um, you know, story essentially and and that's what this is all about it's not really science that we're talking about here it's this more fluff so that's my take well, on yeah that. yeah there um <clears throat> there was a lot of fluff in that first uh segment um 
I mean, uh, 10,000 documents or 1,000 documents. It depends on which time you listen to it. Um, <clears throat> and importantly, I don't think any of those documents, to my knowledge, included the, for instance, the 118 firemen that are on record as hearing explosions. So, you know, and that plus mixing in Building 7 with the Twin Towers, uh, we know that they were brought down completely differently. Uh, the Twin Towers were indeed hit by airplanes. The jet fuel did indeed burn off almost immediately. You can tell there was an oxygen-starved fire with black smoke immediately. There's absolutely no causation from the jet fuel there. And there was no explanation whatsoever of the molten steel below grade for months and months that it went on. So there's just uh, not, not a whole lot of science in that uh, first segment at all. It's just propaganda. That's right. Uh, there's not a whole lot of science very much in this entire segment, but you're talking about all these numbers they're citing. Let's actually get to that because it goes into the next clip. We reviewed tens of thousands of documents. Uh, we interviewed more than a thousand people. We reviewed 7,000 segments of video footage that totaled 150 hours of video and 7,000 photographs from over 185 photographers. And we recovered 236 pieces of steel uh, from the debris following the collapse uh, from the towers. All right, you hear all those numbers, folks? They are throwing them at you. Most people have not looked at all of those things, and they say, wow, this lady must really know her stuff. I mean, they even put, they used the funky real-world MTV font to say the numbers, to write the numbers on the screen as she's saying all this. It sounds so impressive. However, in the end, all these numbers that they cite don't make a lick of difference when the final conclusion is provably false and you can cite inaccuracies in their data, such as the uh, structural features that they omitted in their Building 7 report. And they did this in order to make their collapse scenario more plausible. This has been covered on this show and extensively by AE911 Truth. So the question isn't how many pieces of evidence they were privy to, but what did they actually cherry pick from this? And what did they completely ignore? Of course they looked at a bunch of stuff, because when you have a predetermined conclusion that you want to come to, you got to go look through a lot of pieces of evidence and say, oh, no, we can't show that, oh, we can't use that. Oh, that, that might fit into our narrative. So I'm not impressed by all these numbers that they're throwing out here, because in the end, if you're wrong, you're wrong. It doesn't matter how much work you did, how much taxpayer money you wasted. If you are wrong, you are wrong. All right, and of course, they overlooked other evidence. You know, I'd be more impressed if they said that they looked at the evidence of high temperatures or the missing shear studs and uh, stiffener plates. Well, that's missing from their report. Those things weren't missing in World Trade Center 7. So again, they started with a predetermined conclusion, and then likely they went through all that evidence to carefully cite only that which wouldn't throw out that predetermined conclusion or put it in jeopardy. And then they throughout the rest because, of course, this whole thing was a whitewash. So this is just them trying to bedazzle you and create some kind of sense of authority because, hey, we had access to all of this stuff, yet we were still wrong in the end. Of course, they don't say that part. That's what we say. Uh, gentlemen, again, we'll begin with Kamal. 
So I, you know, I, I think for our audience, it, it's interesting. It's it's a good thing to point out that NIST has done essentially they studied the two buildings. Okay, they they basically came up with a study for each one of the 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 towers um, and the building seven. Now the towers they they had they had quite a limited study, which basically came up with the reason or how they they how the building could collapse. And, and they just looked at the initiation of collapse. On Building 7, they went, went a little further where they looked at the initiation of collapse and then that the building can, can experience global collapse. And both studies were, were flawed. But I think, I think what we need to really point out here is that what's missing from the narrative is that this huge amount of evidence, which is the entire structural steel and the entire pieces of the debris of the structure went missing immediately after almost immediately. So there were only 236 pieces of steel out of a massive, I would say, you know, millions of pieces of steel that, that could tell a different story that, that should have been saved and, and used as for the investigation. None of that was available to any structural engineer reviewing this thing properly. So, when we look at the numbers and these very impressive 10,000 documents, 7,000 photographs, 236 pieces of steel, that's nothing. That, I mean, that's just for people that want to pay attention to this thing. It's, it's very important to note that 236 pieces of steel is, is, is not evidence. And, and what pieces of steel are those? Are they from the towers? Are they from Building 7? What pieces of steel are they? Are they nice pieces of steel that just, you know, look nice and they pick those up? What about, I mean, looking at reassembling the entire building and, and, and essentially looking at where the collapse started, where the, if, if they want to make a case, where the collapse started and how these pieces, what, the connections collapsed, reviewing at the, the entire structure piece by piece for this thing to really be science. So that's that's a real problem. That's one of the major issues that I have with 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 the NIST study to begin with, or you know the government analysis of of the buildings. I agree with everything that you said, Kamal. I uh, would also point out that not only was the steel taken off site and then recycled uh, as quickly as possible to China. But uh, there was no study of the steel on the site itself that was required by uh, the NAFM protocols. I mean, every piece of evidence was spirited away, practically, except for what was cherry-picked. And then, of course, when John Gross is photographed with a piece of sulfated steel, <laughs> he... He just sort of laughs it off and kind of goes on next, next. <laughs> you know, it's 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 embarrassing, really. I mean, the amount of scientific rigor that is not demonstrated in either the initiation of the Twin Towers collapse um, or the more fully done uh, Building 7 omitting uh, uh, 
additional stiffeners that were required and were built into the building that would prevent their theory from even getting past step one. So it's it's just it's just mind boggling that uh, this can even begin to stand up because, as you know, architects and engineers and many other people have looked at this and have said that this is just not the way it's done. It's just not the way it's done. All right, let's go ahead and play clip three here. So the fi- fires did not melt the steel. Um, steel has to get extremely hot um, before it melts. It, it does get softened, though. All right, so the only truthful thing that she said was the steel needs to get extremely hot before it melts, and that's because this is a hard one for them to get around, so they just lie and say there's no evidence of extreme temperatures. And again, despite photographic and video evidence and eyewitness accounts of molten steel that they pretend doesn't exist, despite the high temperatures that burn for weeks in the pile, all this evidence that's not included in all those bloated numbers they cite at the beginning of this piece here. And she adds their standard line that the steel didn't need to melt, just soften. Of course, this doesn't account for the impossible freefall drop of the buildings as they came down, and it also ignores the point I just made, which is the steel did melt. It did melt. What are you going to do about that? In fact, we have partially evaporated steel documented in Appendix C of the initial FEMA report, which, of course, NIST came in and threw away so they could give us the official cover-up. Kamal? Okay, so she's talking about steel not melting and, and basically getting softened. She's talking about when the planes hit, and this is where, the, where she's showing the Building 7 um, instead of the towers, and the, that the fireproofing was basically lost on, on portions of the building, and, and that's why the steel got heated so much that it got softened and started the, the collapse of the building. So molten steel is, is definitely something that, that need, needs to be looked at because there was substantial evidence of that. But I think the the... The more interesting thing for a structural engineer is, you know, sim- the simplistic thought is that, you know, once the building starts to starts to collapse or once some beams or trusses start falling, then the entire building falls and it falls straight into its footprint in such a, an incredibly beautiful manner that resembles controlled demolition. But it's not controlled demolition. Because, you know, it, it's, they say it's not. And, you know, when you look at, you know, we've done also some studies and we've analyzed those buildings. We've looked at, you know, all the evidence as well. And all of us, I mean, all the people who have signed the petition to, to ask for another investigation conclude that it, it's not possible for those buildings to collapse the way they did with just some steel kind of softening and the building collapsing in on, on itself. Uh, it's it just not a possibility at all that the, that could ever happen without a, a very well planned, very well put to, put together collapse mechanism that is not discussed at all here. So as far as the towers go, so we're, we're talking since we're talking about the towers, the, the building initiate the initiation of collapse happened. Okay, so that you know some trusses collapsed, some of the portions of the building began. Crumbling, but then the building just 
felt as if there's nothing underneath, as, as, if the, as if there is no structure that can offer any resistance underneath the building whatsoever, and, and the building just fell at, this, at the acceleration of gravity. That's, that's something to be amazed at. As far as Building 7 goes, the, the study went a little further where they, where they wanted to show how the building could collapse. And every element, every, every portion of their, their study that talks about beams failing and, and then initiating columns failing, columns buckling, all of these are unlikely to happen. First of all, Building 7 was not hit by a plane and fires burned out uh, pretty rapidly and uh, the building then started collapsing after that, but it also fell at free falls into its footprint. But in this model, then, the, the one that Therese McAllister is, is juxtaposing right next to, right next to the, uh, her, her talk, it, it looks like the building is actually crumpling like a, like a soda can. So that's, that's their conclusion of how the building's collapsed, which is, you know, if you, if you actually do take out all the elements that they say were taken out as far as Building 7 goes. We're talking about Building 7 because that's what they show on the, on the picture there. The building starts to crumple, I mean, which is, you know, if you actually do it in a model, that's what it's going to look like. But then how do you explain how the, the building fell into its footprint? No explanation whatsoever. That's enough. We've done that study. We're done. The building can collapse. It doesn't have to look like the actual footage, but we made it collapse. So we, we satisfied the story. The story is done, closed. The topic is closed. We've reviewed, reviewed 10,000 documents, 7,000 photographs, done. We've done an exhaustive, exhaustive study. We don't need to do any more. It's sort of a, <clears throat> like the uh, immaculate conception, you know. <laughs> you have to take these things on faith, you know, uh, not science. And unfortunately for NIST, science is the world that we live in. Kamal, that's the way you design structures. That's the way I have looked at structures and hired people to do that for me my entire professional career. You know, you, you don't design a building and just hope it stands up. <laughs> we, there is a reason that buildings don't collapse like this. It's just uh, a ridiculous, ridiculous whitewash. And for the towers, the twin towers, to collapse in the direction of their highest resistance, almost at free fall, is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Even the hacky sack players would grant you that much. <laughs> they understand at least that much physics. So, you know, it's, it's playing down to them, and uh, it's really playing down to the lowest common denominator of the American public in terms of uh, our understanding of the way this physical universe actually works. This is the end of part one of this episode. Part two will be heard on No Lies Radio and BBS Radio next week. See you then.